Namara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education. I have some wonderful guests on today talking about a issue, a topic that has probably been, I will say, absolutely been the number one top requested topic to talk about. And that topic is being an adapted physical education teacher and making an adapted physical education program when you are an end of one or when you uh, don't, you know, you haven't come into a program that's been flourishing already. A lot of the topics we've had on is scholars and, and teachers that are already at, that have been at great programs for 40, 50, 60 years sometimes. So what do you do when you're someone brand new and you're going into a program that doesn't have the resources, the foundation, the history of those things? And so with that, I thought this was a really vital topic and I have two amazing teachers I have Jen Vetter from North Carolina and Danielle Musser from Colorado to talk about their experiences as going into those spaces, as well as I have the famous and uh, my good friend, Brad Wiener from Fairfax County, Virginia, who's been on my show a few times now, a former APE uh, Shape Teacher of the Year and one of the um, most beloved APE, super APE teachers out there. So, and I asked him to be on here and Brad and I talked about this and Brad, you can chime in right away. I asked Brad to be on here because I felt like this was a really important topic. I have three years of actual in like in the field experience. And Brad, I think you have a lot more than that. Brad, how many years can I ask of experience do you have in the field? I have 17 years of teaching adaptive physical education, and now I have two years in the uh, as an educational specialist where I support other adaptive physical educators. And I appreciate that introduction, Scott. I'm going to try to get out of the room with my big head now. <laughs> but yeah, 17 years of teaching adaptive physical education. Wonderful. And again, I asked him to be on here because I thought he might be able to navigate this and you know, better than I could. And then Brad and I had a brief conversation before we accepted this prestigious offer for him to help host this episode. But about like, you know, Brad, I think you also said that you always had a foundation, really. Everywhere you've gone has had a foundation. So while I've come into Maryland, I came into a very large program that, like you said, does have a foundation. But I get conversations, I get phone calls and emails all the time from individuals throughout the country that do not have the same foundation that I that I was blessed to come into. And so I do know that there is a great need. And this is a very important conversation to have. I appreciate that. And yes, I think that there's people that listen to my podcast. And it's always like the I've, I've had people come up and say this, the haves and the have nots. I'm always listening to the haves. I'm always listening to the people that have these great foundations. So what do we do? when uh, we don't have that foundation. So with that, let's um, get started. And Brad, you, you've already kind of introduced yourself and people listen to episode three, if you want a good uh, background on Brad. Um, but Jen and, and Danielle, could you briefly introduce yourself and your background in adapted physical education? Okay. Um, my name is Jen Better. I am in North Carolina now. Uh, for about two months, but I am coming from Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I was an adaptive physical education teacher and general ed teacher. Um, I'm an open national trainer where I work real hard at 
um, developing best practices for inclusion and you know how can we take what we do in open and bring it to uh, adapted PE students. Uh, I am thoroughly glad to be here and it's a very interesting perspective that I have now having been in Virginia for so long and now in North Carolina because it's two totally different uh, environments. So it'll be good to get into this topic today to be able to share my perspective from both states. And I'm Danielle Musser, and I came straight out of Texas Women's University and OSEP grant recipient and accepted a job before my semester had even ended at in, in Montrose, Colorado and sight unseen, never been to Colorado in my life. And I started the school, the school year mid-year. Uh, so in January, and uh, it was a program that had been there, but they had never actually had anyone certified in adaptive physical education as their teacher. Um, and then the person prior to me didn't have a physical education cert. And then a sub had been serving a sub that had no experience at all serving in the position long-term until I stepped into those shoes. So it was definitely a very interesting perspective and have served as that teacher for the last eight years um, and now have moved on to serving as the founder and director of the Colorado APE Conference. I find it very interesting. And uh, Jen, you and I may have some good conversation because you were in Virginia also. And right now where I am in Virginia for Fairfax, we have a very large program where everybody is supported. So you may, I don't know what part of Virginia you were in, but even though we're in the, you, we worked in the same state, there may be differences that and ex, of experiences. So it'll be interesting to hear that. Absolutely, I, I know there will be because I'm familiar with the program you have going on in Fairfax, and in Virginia Beach, which is where I was, um, it was more of a grassroots kind of effort to get things moving along. And my role now uh, as the health and physical education specialist for Charlotte Mecklenburg schools really gives me a good opportunity to kind of take some of those things we did in Virginia and bring them over here to Charlotte, so. And so I'm curious, in my, in my position, I have the adaptive physical education background. And so as the educational specialist, my teachers have somebody that was an adaptive physical educator. So I'm curious about who your supervisors were, did they have an adaptive physical education background or were they special ed or, or something else? Yeah, so my director was the special education director um, and she was a beautiful, beautiful soul, um, but adaptive physical education wasn't really um, something she had a large uh, repertoire in. She just felt like it was really important for our district, even though it was very, very small, 6,000 students, that they have someone in that role to help make sure that they're getting the equipment and their needs met. So she saw the importance of it. She didn't quite fully understand the spectrum of it, but she saw the importance. Um, in the eight years that I was there, I was on my third director by the time that I left. Um, and she had not actually served in special education in any capacity prior to taking on the role of special education director. Yeah, in, when I was in Virginia Beach, um, because I'm not teaching adaptive PE right now, our director had a passion for adaptive physical education, had come from an area that uh, adaptive PE was a focus and worked really hard on making opportunities for all students. And I will say that at the school I was at, there was no adaptive physical education program, period. 
So I had to create it from scratch and partnering with special education uh, department and um, a guidance counselor, we were able to pull together a program to, to make it for the students. And so that lasted well, while I was there for at least five years, it's still ongoing now. But there really wasn't anyone that was like, hey, I'm an expert in adaptive PE, so let me take your hand and show you how to do this. It was more like, hey, we got a group of kids who need physical education. How are we going to provide this for them equitably? So real quick, something I'm hearing is, is like a shared experience is having administrators that were at least open to this idea. You know, and again, that might not be everyone's experience uh, at all. So, you know, may, could you briefly walk us through like kind of, I don't know, that relationship and maybe how that helped you flourish or not flourish? Well, I can tell you that I had a meeting with my principal at the time and I sat down with him and our special education teacher and um, our guidance counselor. And we said, hey, look, we have a need for this. We're not offering services as we should. And we need to provide an opportunity for these students during the school day. We all know the benefits of physical activity for all students, right? So that's not even a question. These kids weren't getting organized structure, nor could we really work on their IEP goals effectively. So it came down to going into a meeting with my facts in order and a loose plan for how I was going to make it work. And with all of that together, it was hard for them to say, no, we can't do this because of all the benefits and the research that I had. And what it came down to was a scheduling issue. You know, when during the day was this going to be an appropriate class to offer? How was I going to partner with special, the special ed, basically the inclusion teacher in order to offer this class? And so what they did was they gave us both the class at the same period, it was first block. And so the two of us co-taught he helped me learn about the students and I helped create the lessons um, that would fit their needs. So that kind of teamwork made such a difference in being able to really work with these students and get help them get the services they needed during the school day. And I would say my director was really fighting an uphill battle and I'm so thankful that she was such an advocate. Um, the person prior to me was fired very abruptly after the beginning of the school year. So I, I won't share that backstory, um, but essentially it, it was not a good one. And as you guys know, if something happens that quickly, um, there's a reason for it. And so I was really fighting an uphill battle of changing the perception of what adaptive physical education was. Adaptive physical education in the past had just kind of been like, a show up, we're all going to do the same thing. And it, it wasn't what it needed to be. And then this other person had come in and done something to where it really had a negative perception. And the vast majority of the school district um, was wishing that program had been cut. And so I am thankful that I had the, the background that I had at Texas Women's, and I'm thankful that I did have the director that went to bat for me time and time and again. Um, and I was very much of the I want to make all these changes and I want to implement them now. You guys aren't doing the right thing. Like felt very rushed and like, we've got to make changes that are, that are correct. And uh, my director very much was that uh, 
you need to go slow to go fast. And that was the most irritating thing I had ever heard in my life. Um, I was, you know, 24 fresh out of the master's program. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Looking back now, I completely understand where she was coming from because I was trying to be too forceful, too fast in the changes that I was trying to implement. So I am thankful that I did have that director that would help slow me down. That's really funny, Danielle, because um, I said, you know, I partnered with this uh, special ed teacher who thought I was a complete nut coming in and saying, hey, we need to work together because we're going to be able to provide such a great opportunity for our kiddos. And he just thought I was crazy at more than anything, right? Because he had never partnered with a PE teacher before. He'd been in classes, right, as a special ed teacher, offering support. But in this environment where, you know, our goal was to get these kids moving as much as possible, to focus in on specific goals they had, he, he was very much not ready for my um, crazy and being like, hey, it's going to be okay. Let's go on a field trip. Let's go on a walk. Let's go do this. Let's get the kids out of the building. And so it took him probably a year to really buy into the whole process. And I think that's one of the big things if you are implementing any kind of program is that that change is going to be hard for a lot of people to really buy into. Uh, and so you have to be patient with them, but you also have to show results and you have to be able to say, look, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is how it's going to help. And, but you know, people fear change and they fear things that are not exactly how it's always been. So, you know, just like you, Danielle, I was very much like, come on, we got to go, we got to go, we got to do this. But I had to remember that um, not everybody had bought in as much as I had to, to what we needed to do. Absolutely. This is certainly a great conversation. And uh, I read a great book called Switch, Making Change When Change is Hard by the Heath Brothers. And I'm seeing some heads nod. So, uh, so you may have read the book too. But for anybody listening on this podcast, it is an excellent book because it really explains that if you want somebody to make a change, you need to first hit that emotional piece, which Danielle was sharing that I went in there and I uh, presented a, a great curriculum. People really bought into what I was doing. You were having a lot of fun, showing a lot of uh, the correct way that adaptive physical education was supposed to be, creating an environment that was fun. So people were emotionally bought into what you were doing. And then, Jen, you brought the research. So then you hit the intellectual part, the rational part. And if you want to make change, first you have to have to hit that emotional piece, and then you bring in that rational piece. And so that, that was a great conversation that kind of tied that all together. But anybody that is looking to make some change within their environment, certainly re, uh, read that book. It is great. So in adaptive physical education, when you've been challenged, you, you've shared a little bit, but can you kind of pinpoint any personality traits that you possess that motivates you to lean in when most people would lean back? I'll jump on this one. I am extremely stubborn. And I know that most people would shy away from using that word. They'd come up with a fancier word. They'd say, I'm tenacious. I am stubborn. I am, that is to my core. I've been like that from the day I was born. When I drove into Montrose with my dad from Texas, that long drive, we pulled into Montrose and it was the one foggy day of the year. And it was so bleak and you couldn't see the mountains at all. And all we could smell was the feedlot 
for the cows right when we drove into town and my dad said you have not signed the contract we can turn around now and I was so stubborn that I was like dad it is beautiful here you just like can you not see it it's just oh my god it's so stunning and the scent it's fantastic this is going to be a great year and it truly was because I was so dang stubborn that I that I kept pushing forward um and I'm so glad that I did because it is a fantastic community and there's so much to offer and and I've learned so much in my time as the adapted physical education teacher here so I am glad that I'm stubborn and stuck with it I love that. Um, I was probably going to say stubborn too. Um, however, I think, and I, I don't know exactly the words to use, but one of the things that I always rely on is my inability to accept the answer no. Um, I feel that it is the easy way out for many people. I was completely blessed with that principal when I presented the case and said, we have to do this. He was like, all right, let's do it you know and i was so supported in my efforts um however since then you know after you keep going along and you want to try new things and you, you want to do things that have never been done um people always say no because it's easier and i have found that that is not that i just i can't accept it so what i've learned is to take some of that stubbornness that i have and I uh, come up with some kind of plan when I'm asking to do something new. So that way it's hard to say no. So it may not be the 100% answer, but at least I've thought it through. I've got something to offer when I'm asking for something new. And it makes it a little bit harder for someone to just say no and dismiss me. And so, um, you know, I would say absolutely stubbornness is one of the things because, again, what does it come back to, Danielle? Advocating for these kids who can't quite advocate for themselves the way that we want them to. And so we have to do that. And that could be through innovative practices. It could be through field trips. It could be through simply, you know, um, getting new equipment to help them out, whatever it is, you know, so you have to have that that stubborn quality in order to make this happen. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm probably a little bit stubborn also. So maybe that's a, a quality for most people who, uh, when challenged, instead of stepping back on their heels, they step forward into it and seek out, how am I going to make this change? So uh, yeah, I think that's certainly um, a quality for most. But let's think about those individuals that may not be stubborn. So we were stubborn and we were able to, we we're able to make change, but what about those individuals that aren't as comfortable being stubborn? What do you think they could do? How can they start to make change? 100%. Oh, oh. oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think having resources that, and people that you can reach out to is the number one thing that can help elicit change. So to, just to give a, an, an example story of this specifically, um, in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is an hour and 30 minutes away from me, there is another group of AP teachers. They're actually the only other ones on the Western slope of Colorado, which is everything um, to the West of the Continental Divide. There's only four AP teachers and that's me. And then the three in Grand Junction. And those three in Grand Junction um, were up against um, some new administration the year before. And that administration said, we can get these services all met through physical, uh, through physical therapists and through PE. So let's cut 
these AP teachers and, you know, they're definitely, they're, they're a good group of people. I, I wouldn't, they're stubborn in their own regard, but, um, definitely not as vocal. And so they reached out to Nick Pede. And Nick Pede was a fantastic resource for them to give handouts to administration to, to bring in on the Zoom phone calls. Uh, Garth Timeson was sitting on Zoom calls, helping them advocate for their program to give them the words when they didn't have the words. It, when your job is being challenged like that sometimes, and you're the only person going to bat over and over again in these administration meetings, it can really bring you down. Even if you are the most stubborn of individuals, advocating for your program time and time again can be very lonely um, and oscillating. And so it was so nice that they were able to reach out to that organization and they were able to help and be that voice when they didn't have the words. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that because it would have been so shameful had that all been cut, you know? And one of the things that I have found also is that while, you know, when we were in Virginia Beach, there were other teachers teaching adaptive physical education across the district. One of the things that I realized that was challenging was that, again, some people were afraid to really kind of step out of their comfort zone and do things that hadn't been done. Again, we go back to that fear of change, right? So I found sharing what I was doing, getting it on Twitter, emailing people and letting them know, hey, are you interested in a combined field trip or are you interested in um, doing some kind of you know, special Olympic activity? Reaching out to these other people and getting them to kind of see the light, so to speak, really helped push them along because sometimes you work in your bubble, especially secondary. We are the worst at stove stovepiping, right? Like we don't let other people help us. We kind of do our own thing and we'll do the same thing for 20 years <laughs> without doing anything different. And so it really uh, sometimes is good to kind of push in to help people see the benefits of what you're doing. Because some people just need to see it done before they actually will do it themselves. It's just the nature of the beast. I want to add one more thing for the people that kind of have that hard time, like putting themselves out there, speaking in front of others. One of the best things and is so easy to do is creating a newsletter. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it, it, Truly, when you're you're putting together that newsletter, you're highlighting your program. You are advocating through your newsletter for your program. You can add what is APE and then show what you're doing and then blast that to everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. You're you're sending that to your school board members. You make sure to get their emails and put it in front of everybody's eyes. Put it out there for the community to see. If you've got a, we have a Montrose message board. I'm sure almost every city in the US, if we have one, y'all have one. Put it out there for the world to see what you're doing, obviously with permission for photo usage, but put it out there because when you're building that vocabulary to your community, it will be recognized and it will be heard. And it's much harder to get rid of your program when you do stuff like that. Oh, I love that. And speaking of community, you know, another way to really promote what you're doing is to get involved with your community partners, because there are organizations, it doesn't matter where you are, who are falling all over themselves to help you, to support you, to, to be a part of what you're doing. And I'm not just talking Special Olympics. I'm talking a YMCA. I'm talking a Parks and Recreation. I'm talking um, a, a business in the area. There are so many resources out there for you. And so if you find yourself 
in a, in a rut or not able to really provide what it is that you want to provide, step out and look beside outside of your school walls because there are so many community partners that are, you know, willing and, and able to provide assistance in some way. I'll give you a quick example. I wanted to take my students to the beach. Okay, why not? We were in Virginia Beach. Let's go to the beach, right? Some of these kids had never been to the beach before. But I had student in wheelchairs. And so how was I going to get them on the sand? A local organization through just, I started reaching out, trying to find other things, had beach wheelchairs that I could borrow for the day, did not charge me. We were able to use them, get the kids out there. And so it's things like that, that what a huge difference it made to those kids. And it costs nothing. So I really highly recommend, you know, newsletters are awesome and send them out there, get them out to the community, get people to see what you're doing because they want to help. Going back to that point about the AP community and growing it and how you use it, Brad and I recently talked to a guy from New Jersey, I think that had the same thing. And he, he I think if he's listening, shout out to him because he just went ahead and kind of tried to create a consortium or community to talk to. One of the things I get in my role as this podcast creator is a lot of people tell me, or I've had this a few times where people say, I really like your podcast because I feel like I'm all alone. I'm in a district. I'm the only one that does what I do. I don't know other APE teachers uh, like you're saying. And so I wonder, you know, where, where do you find, I, you know, where do you find, where do you start this community? Like, and Danielle, you briefly talked about, there's only people on this West side. I like, where, like, where did you even go to find this community and, and feel comfortable with them and feel that they're, they're willing to share with you? I, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that struggle to find this community, especially I was in Iowa before this and there was a community, but it wasn't, they weren't like, out and, you know, having, they weren't easy to identify always. Yeah. So I would say if you're coming straight from a master's program or even an undergraduate program um, that has like a greater emphasis on APE, if you could reach out to your professors to try to connect you to other university professors in the state that you're headed, if you're moving out of state, like I did try to get you that connection early on. I had a slight connection, but with the amount of to-do list, I put that at the very bottom of my list of things to do was to connect to other professionals because I thought, oh my God, I don't even know who's on my caseload. It's January. And so that was really stressful to me. I wish that I had made that my number one priority. Being, being isolated in a new town, knowing not a single person there and being an itinerant teacher, it was really hard to make friends. And so it, it just was, it was really hard to, to get my group. If you're in a school district, number one, I think reach out to your OTs, PTs. If there's no other APEs in your uh, school district, your OTs, PTs, that motor team, um, I think are going to be some of your closest friends uh, within your immediate school district. And then I would say broader, um, if your department of education has an adaptive physical education advisory council or point of contact, reach out to that person because there's probably a mailing list that you can get on to start to get to know some of the other people. In Colorado, we meet four times a year, um, virtually and in person as a APE team. And that was a life-changing experience for me career-wise because I finally felt like I had people within my state to reach out to. Um, and then of course, broader than that, the adaptive physical education Facebook page, 
excuse me, adaptive physical education specialist, Facebook page, Twitter, this podcast, um, great ways to start connecting to other people within the field across the United States and Nick Peed. Uh, Twitter, absolutely, because that's, I, I find Twitter one of the best educational resources ever. And the state of Virginia is so fortunate because uh, Vanessa Wiggins at DOE has done a great job working with JMU and the Content Teaching Academy to host uh, annual adaptive physical education, uh, Content Teaching Academy, five-day, four-day course where you can go and learn best practices, you can communicate with other adapted physical educators. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity. And so those kinds of professional developments are out there, but because you may be the only one, you're gonna to have to seek them out. And I would start with Twitter. I would start with any kind of advisory council. North Carolina has a adaptive physical education advisory council, and there are wonderful resources uh, available online. And the other thing too that I would recommend is don't box yourself in to just looking at adapted physical education resources. Take what you know how to do. Say you've been a general ed teacher. Say you um, understand you know, physical education, motor skills, and then just be creative, be innovative. Use what you know to help the students that you're working with now, because there are so many neat things that you can do and just tweak to fit the needs of your students. But it's okay to think outside the box. And I think sometimes we forget that, that, that it's okay to do that um, because we're you know, scared of, you know, oh, not meeting this goal and not doing that. But there are a wonderful host of resources online that with a little creativity and a little innovation can be used uh, in so many different ways. I did um, the professional development really hit another point that I, I didn't mention was that your state shape boards are a great resource. Shape America is a great resource to meet other adaptive physical educators, but also so many other states are starting to create their own adaptive physical education conferences because we know how expensive it can be to travel out of state to go to um, larger adaptive physical education conferences. So see what your state has to offer in terms of that. Nick Pede was shared earlier, and that is the National Consortium for Physical Education for Individuals with Disabilities. Their national conference is often in July. It's going to be, I believe, July 13th to 15th this year. And that is a wonderful small knit group uh, where it's very family oriented and nice conference to go to that speaks about research, but also how it applies to the practical world. So you get to really engage with others that are have their heart and adapt physical education. It is a wonderful conference. This year, it is going to be in person in Alexandria, Virginia. So I, I think, yeah, the community aspect is huge. You know, I, I want to go a little bit more into, I don't know, some of the, I think we've, we've touched on some of those, but what are maybe some other barriers that you saw in initially creating this program um, and maybe even the maintenance of the program once you got it established? That's a great question um, because one of the things that having just left a school district, I was so worried that it was going to fall apart because sometimes you are the reason something stays together so I spent the last year really setting up the school for success. I pulled other people in 
who might not necessarily have been involved with adaptive physical education before, but that I knew I needed the resources to stay in place, right? And again, just ensuring that people understand why you're doing what you're doing can go a long way to the sustainability of a program. So it shouldn't matter if it's you or someone else, the why um, needs to be clear and um, broadcast for everybody to know. And then that goes back to everything Danielle was saying about sharing what you're doing and why this is so important um, because it should be sustainable. It should be like any other PE program that exists for students. So, you know, I think that that was one of the things that can be really tricky is just how do you keep it going when you're not around? And that comes down to, um, you know, putting systems and procedures in place that just make sense and that are easy to follow and, and easy for someone to pick up if you're not around. I think that's an excellent point, Jen. I will say that when you're in a very small rural school district, those barriers can feel almost insurmountable. When I, I had two babies in my time, uh, in my eight year stint as the AP teacher. And so just getting it even set up for maternity leave felt overwhelming. When I resigned, I had a 92 students on my caseload spread across 15 school sites. And so just even getting all the paperwork printed out to, to show my maternity leave sub, this is who you're serving and this is what their IEP goals are. That was extremely overwhelming. And so when I, the district does not have a ton of funds. Um, the starting salary for my job was $33,000. I, I want that to be out there for the world to know because that is what people are going up against in these small, small towns to where you truly do feel like you're on an island. How is that job? How is that going to be sustainable? Does someone really want to step into that role of having that many students and make that amount of money? And so I do, I do want that to be out there because I know that that's something that people are going to run across. Um, uh, and with housing costs and a potential recession on the, you know, in the making, that is, that is a thing. And um, at this point, um, I resigned last year. They had someone in my shoes. Um, they were there for seven days and the person resigned. And so um, they have not filled the position since and it's been vacant this school year. So that is something that is devastating because I thought that I had built something that was meant to last and uh, put things into place. But I do want to be open and honest um, with the community because I know that these are challenges that they might face barriers. Um, another barrier that people might run across is finances, um, not just in terms of what you make as an AP teacher, but in terms of your budget. So my budget was $350 for 15 school sites. Um, that's total for everybody. So I did have to become very innovative in how I raised funds to make that happen for my school district. I do think that advocacy and speaking about your program to your director and getting in front of them before the budget meeting happens for the school year to say, this is why we need more funds for this program. And being able to advocate for that is fantastic. But I will say that sometimes you do have to saddle up, put on your spurs and uh, <laughs> make it happen on your own sometimes. As I'm listening to this, this is reminding me of a conversation I've had with a few colleagues. I think Brad, we talked about this too briefly is like, 
I've had this issue or whatever and thought about, you know, even someone like, you know, all of you is that often these great programs existing or whatever does it kind of falls on the um, need for you to be exceptional and to be go above and beyond constantly. And, um, you know, I like what Jen was saying about protocols and procedures and putting those in there so that there is sustainable things because, you know, oftentimes when you're exceptional, like Brad, he went into an administrative position at some point, right? Like those things come, you get more opportunities when you're exceptional. So this program that you created that is exceptional, uh, you want it to live, you want it to, to be beyond you and, and how that happens and such. And, and Brad, maybe you could also jump in and provide uh, a contrast to maybe, you know, what Danielle was explaining with maternity leave and budget issues and what, I don't know, like what that might look like in Fairfax County, which has one of the larger APE programs in the, in the nation, like how her having to navigate those things on her own, the maternity leave versus, the, you know, some of those institutional things that maybe you provide because you have a larger program. Well, we have a larger program. We don't have a great big budget, but what we do have are other adapt physical educators that are in the same boat. And so we can, if one teacher needs a piece of equipment or needs an idea, they have somebody right there in their backyard that they can go to and say, hey, I'm looking for this. Does anybody have this? We actually, I'm using the Voxer app, which is like an uh, instant messenger on your phone. And so if I'm a teacher and I ha have a question or need a piece of equipment, I just simply text that in and everybody in the program automatically instantly gets this message and then can, be, can jump in and say, oh, yeah, I have this or I've done this. And they take a picture of it and they instantly send it back. So then somebody else can recreate it or uh, just go over to the school next door and take it in. So building in this nice connection, just having a resource of people is nice to grow. And that's why that uh, Facebook page that Danielle brought up before the Adaptive Physical Education Specialist Group is so nice. While it may not be as instant, it is a place where people can go and ask questions or take a picture of their equipment and share their equipment. Same thing with Twitter. A lot of teachers on Twitter, and that's kind of almost instant also, where they're taking pictures and asking questions and feel if I'm out in uh, rural nowhere and nobody's near me, now I'm going to have that connection through technology of being uh, connected to other people who I can ask questions to and get information for. It is really uh, important to reach out and become part of that group. Hey, Brad, I want to just add on that, you know, Virginia Beach has four APE itinerants, and they are in charge of all of the students with services across the district. And so one of the things that I found really useful was tapping into them, because while they get to go from school to school to school and see what other adaptive PE teachers are doing, they also, if you have itinerants and you are a teacher in a school, use them as a resource because they know what's going on in other schools. Sometimes they've been following students for years and years. They've had the same kid on their caseload for a long, long time. 
And so they can provide a lot of backstory and insight into things that work and things that don't work. Um, so when we're talking about resources um, and we're talking about things that we can do, you know, of course it depends on where you are. You know, if you are where Danielle is, it's a lot harder because she was, and you know, that was it. Um, but in other districts, there are other resources available or maybe it's a neighboring district. You know, I would reach out to Fairfax County or Loudoun County all the time because I knew that there were people there that could help. So it really uh, comes down to just utilizing what's around you and, um, you know, getting into that, uh, the technology with Twitter and Facebook and using the web to your best advantage. And if you don't know of who to reach out to, that's where Nick Pete can also come and support also because uh, if you're in a state, you can reach out to Nick Pete and say, hey, who is it within my state that I can start reaching out to? And they will be able to provide you a person, an email address. Oftentimes, Nick Pete does reach out to me and say, hey, there's somebody in your state that's looking to connect. And so I would connect with them. So that is a wonderful resource. And they have that ask a question on their website so you can do that. And uh, I'm actually serving on the NICPEED subcommittee right now, and they are currently in the works of creating a document um, that covers the entire U.S. of every single state and a contact point person for each state um, to help guide everyone. Because yes, a lot of states do have a guidance document for APE um, that's been created within the state, but this will be a very nice updated resource list of people to actually con contact and connect with. So that's very exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there, we really do have a lot of resources that you can reach out to. And Danielle, I think, you know, yes, if you have an APE master's program, you came out of the professor that you worked with, absolutely your state shapes, uh, regional shapes, and then Nick Pede, there are like a few getting stronger and stronger APE state um, conferences. Obviously, there's the California one, but Illinois has a strong one. Maryland has a strong one now. Virginia. So, with that, let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up, and maybe all of you can uh, you know, answer this: is what advice can you provide an AP teacher who feels like they're isolated? They don't. They have a brand new program they're trying to create, and they don't have a community right now. Uh, what what advice would you give them to get started? So like we've been sharing, you know, start by building your community, uh, reaching out, talking to the motor team, like was shared earlier, reaching out to see if any other adaptive PE teachers are in there. Also really focusing on the work that you do with the students and bringing like the uh, sharing that through the newsletter that was spoken about, because again, hitting that emotional side, if you can advocate through what you do with the students emotionally people will become more invested and then doing your research and getting the rationale uh, within my position now one of the things I have to really be cognizant of and know of is the law and so certainly uh, bookmark IDEA that website uh, because you're going to want to go to that. You're going to want to reference that whenever you're going to push towards something. And one of the big things that people need to know that aren't adaptive physical educators is to know that we are special education. We are defined under special education and we provide that specially designed instruction. So any way that you 
respond to special education, you respond, you should respond the same way to adapt physical education. If special educators are having resources, we should get similar resources. We are special education. So one of the best resources we have is IDEA.gov. Um, I think also, you know, one of the things if you are new, you're starting this out and you're, you are trying to figure out the best way ahead, build on your strengths. Um, because you might be really good at doing specific things. For example, um, social and emotional learning is something that just naturally comes easy to me. I can connect with students really well. I can build relationships. It's not that way for every teacher. I know that, but I use that as a strength as far as building my community with my students. So while I may have been new at you know, adapting different activities to my kiddos, building those relationships was something that I knew was going to help me in the long run with everything else that I was going to do with them. And so I relied on that as I was learning and growing and, and becoming better at what I did, because I knew that that was something I could really do. So, so don't hesitate to rely on what you're really good at. If you're really good at teaching motor skills, then use that in a way that's going to be effective for your students. If you're really good at teaching games, then use that as, as a way to help your students progress and move along. Um, I think sometimes we get wrapped up in, oh my gosh, this is a really big deal. And I, I don't know how to help every student. And every student has something different that they need to focus on. But you got to go back to, okay, start with what you know and, and use that as your platform to move forward. Okay, I'm going to give everybody the same advice that my special education director gave me. You got to go slow to go fast. You can't build Rome in a day. There are so many fun, shiny new things that you can see on social media that you want to build or put into your program. But remember, many of those programs have been around for a long time now. They've got multiple hands on deck. They've got community partners that they've already created. So you can't do it all. And I the other thing that I think is really important is to grow your community in your school district and in your town. So if there's a professional development that everybody needs to go to, like Stop the Bleed or CPR, something like that within your district, try to do those at multiple school sites. If you're itinerant, that's a great way to build community. You're going to be working with other people in their school, um, and that way you can start to get to know people and know faces. And I think something that's really important and often overlooked when you're in these APE deserts, these rural communities, is you have to respect and understand the culture of the town. Where I'm at is a longstanding uh, community, and it is a very independent people that came out to the West to, to you know, be the first on the frontier. Um, and that is a culture that I had to understand that this isn't the same we're going to show up with a casserole on your porch when you're sick community of eastern Tennessee this is this is a very independent community and um, I wish I had taken more time at the beginning to really get to know the town the history stopping in at the visitor center going to the history museum in town um, to, to get to better know the people that I was serving so I hope you can do the same that's some wonderful advice, honestly. One thing on the Danielle's thing is just, I, you know, I think that long going slow to go fast idea, definitely something I could have learned from too. 
And also, I, I think with that, one thing I've seen is to also keep a positive attitude or try to keep a positive attitude. And I think when you go that slow route or knowing you're going to go that slow route, I think allows you to maybe not get the, I think when you go fast and things don't happen, I think it's very easy to take some negatives away from that and not feel as great about things. And I really just watching and whatever, as you get older in the, in your field and stuff, watching the negative attitudes kind of spiral into sometimes less productive work and stuff like that, or not trying to put yourself out there in the way that you might've used to. Um, and, and yeah, I honestly, those were three really great um, pieces of advice for APE teachers out in the field to, to use and listen to. So with that, I think we had a really great episode about a topic that's needed to be talked about. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you.